When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The death toll right now, April 1st, stands at 4,564. One month ago today, on March 1st, only one person in the United States had died from this virus. President Trump is predicting a very painful two weeks coming up. And with the death rate in the United States, the death toll rather, uh, doubling about every three days, uh, if we stay on this trajectory, this course, the total death toll could reach 120,000 in just two weeks. Of course, hopefully that will not happen. Hopefully the U.S. will begin to flatten the curve. This afternoon, Vice President Pence claimed here on CNN that President Trump has never belittled the threat of the coronavirus, which, of course, is empirically false. The president did diminish the threat, belittle the threat several times for weeks on end. In fact, it was just last week that President Trump, continuing to not fully grasp the gravity of it all, said he hoped to lift restrictions so that he could be able to see packed, choo- uh, packed church pews on Easter. Just over a month ago, President Trump Uh, suggested that the number of cases in the U.S. would soon go down to close to zero. Those confirmed cases in the U.S., they're not close to zero. It's now more than 200,000. The director general of the World Health Organization this afternoon said that in a matter of days, coronavirus cases worldwide will top 1 million with 50,000 deaths globally. CNN's Erica Hill has more on the increasingly dire situation in New York, the current epicenter in the United States, as well as other states ramping up their efforts across the country. On the front lines, the need never seems to end. Everyone requires oxygen. Everyone is borderline critical. In New York, as the numbers grow, so does the warning. 16,000 deaths in New York. That means uh, you're going to have tens of thousands of deaths outside of New York. It's a New York problem today. Tomorrow, it's a Kansas problem and a Texas problem and a New Mexico problem. More than 30 states now have statewide stay-at-home orders. The latest, Florida, the country's third most populous state. The governor there reversing course today amid mounting pressure. At this point, I think even though there's a lot of places in Florida that have very low infection rates, um, it makes sense to to make this move now. In Louisiana, New Orleans officials say they could run out of ventilators this week as new hotspots add to the strain. Holyoke, Massachusetts, now on the radar. The governor ordering investigation into why several veterans died from coronavirus at one facility. In Albany, Georgia, one hospital has recorded more than 20 percent of that state's COVID-19 deaths. It's very hard to see someone close to your age in there fighting for their life. In the pandemic's U.S. epicenter, 1,400 have tested positive at the NYPD alone. Hundreds of additional EMTs, paramedics, and ambulances are being brought in to answer the city's surge in 911 calls. The Army asking 10,000 reserve members with a medical background 
to return. As experts and officials warn, to keep the death toll down, it is time for a nationwide plan. We need people to do their part, social distancing as a part of it. We also need the federal government to do a lot more, too, because that rationing of ventilators, the rationing of supplies, that's also going to be what leads to unnecessary deaths. The numbers, the hotspots, the urgent need tell part of this story. But it is the personal struggles and loss that reveal the lasting impact. They took a walkie-talkie. And they placed the walkie-talkie right by um, her bedside on the pillow. Elijah Ross Rudder and his five siblings couldn't be next to their mother to say goodbye. It's a moment that nobody really ever wants to be in. I told her I loved her. I told her everything's going to be all right with the kids. Sunday Rudder, who survived stage four breast cancer, was 42. Just one of the many people we're learning more about, Jake. I also want to update you on some of these hospitals that we've been talking about, the new hospitals and hospital ships being brought in. The Mercy, which is docked, the Navy hospital ship docked off the coast of Los Angeles, now has 12 patients on board here in New York. The Comfort has one patient. Remember, these are all non-coronavirus patients. Those ships are being used for overflow. In Central Park, the field hospital that was just built and opened today, we just confirmed that they are now treating their first coronavirus patient there, Jake. Erica Hill, thank you so much. And such a good reminder, Eric, uh, that, that behind every one of these numbers, 400,000 uh, of this or 4,500 deaths in the United States, it, it's somebody's mom, somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's dad. Today, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, gave, gave a grim reality check, saying that only about one-fifth, 20 percent of the people who contract this virus and end up on a ventilator will ever be taken off the ventilator, will survive. On a ventilator, there's roughly only a 20% chance that you will come off the ventilator. The longer you're on the ventilator, the lower the chance you come off. Let's bring in CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay uh, Gupta. Uh, and Sanjay, that statistic, is that a normal statistic for people put on ventilators? Or is there something particularly... Uh, nefarious uh, about coronavirus and how it affects patients? And, and how does that change how hospitals treat this horrific virus? Well, you know, Jake, a piece of data that we've learned earlier about these patients who go on the ventilator with, with this particular infection is that they end up staying on the ventilator a, a lot longer than, than is typical. I mean, it obviously depends on the particular illness or if there was an operation or trauma. But, you know, you typically think about people on the ventilators uh, less than a week. Uh, it, with this, it seems like it's uh, 11 to 20 days typically people stay on the ventilator, uh, which is a lot longer. When people are on the ventilator that long, it is harder to wean them off of it. Uh, I had not heard this statistic. As you mentioned, it's, it's one of the, the, the highest in terms of people not getting on the ventilator that I've heard. You know, you typically think uh, maybe 30% of people won't be able to give off the ventilator. Here we're saying 80%. So it's early, Jake. You, you know, you want to see how this sort of, if these numbers sort of continue in other places uh, or if there's something specific here. There is, it is worth noting that in some cases, uh, the people who are contracting these infections, they develop uh, not just a pneumonia, but what, what is called an ARDS uh, type uh, look to their lungs, acute respiratory distress syndrome the lungs become much stiffer and much harder to sort of ventilate as well. So that could be part of this. I know people are looking into it, but as you mentioned, that, that, is, a, that is a tough statistic to hear, Jake. 
It's a horrible statistic, 80% mortality. We hope that obviously more data comes in and that number changes uh, as the world learns more about coronavirus. The the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, today, uh, Sanjay, announced a stay-at-home order for the state. This is after much criticism and weeks and weeks of, you know, cruise ships landing and spring breakers packing the beaches. Shouldn't the governor of Florida have done this weeks ago? I mean, just empirically, didn't his delaying this mean more cases and, and possibly more deaths? I, I think that, you know, that, that particular issue now, and, and, and it's an it's a, uh, uncomfortable thing that has been asked at these press conferences, could these deaths have been prevented? That is the, you know, the thing that I think the medical establishment always, uh, you know, worries about the most, preventable deaths. And, you know, uh, it came up yesterday, Jim Acosta asked at the, at the press briefing, had we acted sooner, could deaths have been prevented? Um, and, and, and look, I mean, I, I think there's no question that that's the case. I, you know, you, you look at what's happened around the world. You look at other places uh, within the country. I think Florida now has the fourth uh, is fourth in terms of overall number of infections. You know, I, I hope that this and I know I'm sure that this will make an impact now that there's a stay at home order. I think if nothing else, it gives a level of seriousness to people who may have thought, look, you know, there's no stay at home order. How, how serious could this be? Let's vacation down in Florida. Let's do our spring break down there, whatever it might be. Um, we know that these these stay at home orders, these policies make a difference. Jake, you know, I, we, you and I have talked about this for some time now, but if you look at countries like Germany, for example, uh, versus Italy, uh, you know, places that acted sooner, that did testing sooner, that isolated people sooner, did all those basic things. People always think of a, a, a drug or a vaccine, and hopefully those things will come soon. But we shouldn't minimize the impact of, of these what are called non-pharmaceutical interventions, uh, such as social distancing. So, you know, we'll wait and see. I, I hope this makes a difference. I know it will. Um, but I think, you know, most people wish it had been done uh, earlier, Jake. It's just been weird watching because like three or four weeks ago when we were covering this, I, I, I would see governors, and I don't mean to pick on Governor DeSantis, but governors all over the country being rather glib about this. And I, and I kept thinking to myself, they're going to do a stay-at-home order eventually. Why not do it now right. <laughs> as opposed to in four weeks? Because that's thousands of lives potentially. Let me ask you, Sanjay, because we're running out of time. You spoke to Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, obviously uh, perhaps the most prominent member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Uh, and you, you talked to him about their work trying to contain the virus. Uh, what, what did he have to say? Well, uh, you know, he, he is um, uh, focused, obviously, on, on trying to convince people of the, of the importance of this. But he also talked about the fact that they're getting a lot more information now about um, who's, who's really, you know, most at risk. You know, we talk about the elderly. We talk about people with pre-existing conditions. But one of the things that really jumped out at me, and I don't know if we have the sound uh, or, or not. I'll just tell you regardless because I know you're running out. Okay, we do have the sound. Just, just go ahead and listen to this, Jake. Listen to carefully how he described this. This is an unusual disease. I'm fascinated, Sanjay, by what I would call the pathogenesis. You know, you got so many people who do well and then some people who just bingo. They're on a respirator, they're on ECMO, and they're dead. I mean, the, the, the dichotomy between that. There's something there, Sanjay, that we're missing from a pathogenesis standpoint. And I don't think it's only if you're elderly or if you have underlying conditions. There's something else going on there that hopefully we'll ultimately figure out. Such an important point, Jake. Uh, You know, we obviously know the elderly people with pre-existing conditions, but they're starting to drill down now on why some people seem to get so sick with this 
versus others, even the elderly, even people with pre-existing conditions. Hopefully we'll get that data soon, Jake. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, as always, thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, coming up, the governor of California is going to join me live. The actions he has taken, what more he says he needs from the federal government, that's next. Stay with us. Plus, I'm going to speak with a former member of Trump's inner circle on the administration's handling of the pandemic and the economy. That's also coming up. Stay with us. There are indications of possible ways out of this, possible success stories in this global crisis, as the Surgeon General of the United States mentioned this morning. The good news is that states like Washington, like California, countries like Italy, when they leaned into aggressive mitigation, they, uh, they're being able to flatten their curve. Let's talk about that aggressive mitigation with the Democratic governor of one of those states, California, Gavin Newsom. Thank you so much for joining us, Governor. I appreciate it. I know your time is, is valuable. Uh, you have more than 8,000 confirmed cases in your state, at least 171 deaths. You said there are 774 people in ICU beds in your state. That's a 16 percent increase from yesterday. The, the virus peak in California is expected to come in, in the middle of May. So what are you doing to make sure that California does not become the next Italy, the next New York? Well, Jake, and those 774 people represent a quadrupling just in the last six days of number of people uh, on ICU. So we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. But I am very proud of this state, uh, the largest state in our union, uh, with the first state uh, home uh, order where we're practicing physical distancing at a scale uh, that uh, has really uh, done justice to helping us buy time and begin to bend that curve so we can prepare for a surge, as you suggest, uh, may come uh, in early uh, part of May, maybe mid to late May. There's still more than a dozen states that do not have stay-at-home orders. Uh, you were one of the first states hit. Based on what we've seen from your state, based on your experience uh, being on the tip of the spear of all this, do you have a message for the other governors who have not taken these these strong measures, these extreme measures, should everyone be issuing these stay-at-home orders? Our message is this. What are you waiting for? What more evidence do you need? Uh, if you think it's not going to happen to you, uh, there are many proof points all across this country, for that matter, around the rest of the world. Don't dream of regretting. Lean into the moment. Take responsibility to meet it head on. You'll never regret uh, overcompensating at the moment uh, so that you're preparing people uh, for meeting this moment uh, in the responsible way. And there's no greater intervention, period, full stop, none, than physical distancing. We talk about social distancing, but it's really physical distancing. You can stay socially connected, but you need to be physically apart. Uh, and that foundationally and fundamentally, we know, can bend the curve, can save lives, and ultimately can get people back to work and get society back to some semblance of normalcy faster than anything else we can do. Is your curve bending in California? Is it is it going in a better trajectory? Because the United States in general, it's just going up. But I know it's different state by state. Yeah, look, I mean, we we were at this 
a little bit longer than anybody else, we started to take those repatriation flights from overseas, six of them, in late January, working with the federal government, uh, with our uh, Navy, uh, to provide the resources and a resourceful mindset of support for those flights. We then had the Grand Princess. We had over 3,500 people we had to accommodate, and that was a joint mission with the federal government, CDC, uh, and the state of California that really socialized a consciousness in the state around the significance and severity of the moment. We were the first to go out for 65 and over at stay away, uh, stay at home orders. And then we had counties, including my old county, San Francisco, that really led at a regional basis and then ultimately at a state basis. And none of that could have happened soon enough. And, and all of that has bought us time and has helped us bend the curve in this respect, that while we see things increasing, we don't see them increasing as fast as other parts of the country. You say California needs 10,000 ventilators to be prepared. So far, your state's received, I believe, 4,200, but nearly 1,000 of them need to be refurbished. Is the federal government uh, assisting you in the refurbishing or in the supplying of ventilators? Well, we received 170 ventilators. L.A. County specifically received 170 ventilators from the national stockpile. Unfortunately, they weren't working, but I didn't call a press conference, didn't run on your show to discuss that. Uh, We actually delivered overnight those ventilators when we found out they weren't working uh, and we brought them into Silicon Valley, a company uh, that's in the green tech space, Bloom Energy, and they completely refurbished them, sent them back to Los Angeles County. Uh, We don't expect that we're going to receive the requisite amount of ventilators from the national stockpile, and that's why we have already found some 4,252 from across the globe and from entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. I was talking to Richard Branson this morning uh, and their Virgin Orbit, uh, where they're usually doing launching systems and rocket engines. Uh, They're coming up with these bridge ventilators that may help us buy a little bit of time. So we're being as resourceful as we possibly can, not finger pointing, not nail biting, just taking responsibility to try to meet this moment. I want you to take a listen to something uh, that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said yesterday about acquiring medical supplies. It's like being on eBay with 50 other states bidding on a ventilator. And then FEMA gets involved and FEMA starts bidding. And now FEMA is bidding on top of the 50. What sense does this make? We've heard from uh, Los Angeles uh, Mayor Garcetti that he had a check cut and he was about to get 100,000, I think it was... uh, uh, N95 masks. And then all of a sudden FEMA came in and, and took it out. We heard from Governor Pritzker uh, that this Lord of the Flies like atmosphere of states just bidding against each other has just been madness. What's been your experience with this bidding process? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's the wild, wild west. There's no question about it. Look, uh, we're blessed here in California with purchasing power that's second only to the federal government. Uh, we've ordered 101 million N95 masks. I've been able to distribute 35.4 million N95 masks. I'll put it in perspective. It's not a critique. It's just an observation. Uh, All of the deliveries from the national stockpile, and there have been three, uh, total 1,089,000 N95 masks. We've distributed 35 uh, plus million. So it gives you a sense that states are are getting a little bit of support, but we're going to have to be resourceful. I reached out to uh, Governor Pritzker. I reached out to Jay Inslee, some of the other governors, to see if we can get our purchasing folks to work more collaboratively together at a state-by-state level. And we've got a really good relationship with our regional FEMA director. And so we're making sure that we're not competing 
head on, at least regionally, in some of those purchases. This is a huge issue, but again, I'm not going to complain about it. We're going to own it, and we're going to work our way around it, and we're going to try to help other states using the purchasing power of a state as large as California to help advance an effort to avoid price gouging and to ultimately get these deliveries in a timely manner. Governor, uh, the CDC says that your state, California, has a testing backlog of nearly 60,000 tests. Uh, What's being done about that? Yeah, these are the tests that have already been conducted, and we're just waiting uh, for the results. It's incredibly frustrating. Uh, You're having results that take six 10, 12 days in some cases. The commercial labs uh, like Quest and LabCorp overwhelmed. All these private labs and all these things you're hearing about on the nightly news and press conference. Let me give you an example of that. Abbott, uh, we have the capacity. Abbott just shipped uh, from the uh, centralized uh, procurement and distribution uh, about 1,500 kits that we can do a quick uh, turnaround. That's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. So I just caution people when they hear about the latest this or latest that, uh, latest protocol, uh, that we're not at the scale we need to be. And one of the challenges is not just getting the diagnostics back on positive and negative. It's also getting the supplies on the front end in terms of the specimen uh, collection, and that's swabs and the media for the swabs. I will say this, though. Proud to be in California, Stanford University and others working to 3D print now a lot of those swabs so we can help uh, even with the collection process. That's the PCR test. We're moving to these other tests, the blood-based tests, but they can't again happen soon enough. I've talked to uh, officials uh, throughout the country who have said, that they have to temper their remarks and what they say uh, about the federal government response for fear that President Trump will punish the citizens of their state uh, if uh, he considers them to be a complainer. Uh, You and President Trump seem to have been working collaboratively. He praised you yesterday. Do you find yourself, by necessity, tempering what you say in terms of any issues you might have with the federal response? I've been consistent, and Jake, you know this, we've been dealing with historic wildfires and droughts out in the West here in California. And I've always said, I've said it back a year ago, this is not time to bicker. I don't care who's up and down, uh, whose polls are looking better than someone else's or who wants to run for president or who doesn't. Uh, When it comes to times of crisis, we need to raise above the partisanship. And and I've extended always an open hand, not a closed fist in those circumstances. And this is no different. But let me just be candid with you. I'd be lying to you to say that he hasn't been responsive to our needs. He has. And so as a question, uh, as, a, as a sort of an offer, offer of, of objectivity, I have to acknowledge that publicly. And the fact is, every time I've uh, called the president, he's quickly gotten on the line. When we asked to get support for that mercy ship in Southern California, he was able to direct that in real time. Uh, we got 2,000 of these field, field uh, medical sites uh, that are up almost all operational now in the state uh, because of his support. And those are the facts. Uh, We always want more. I could criticize this or that. At the end of the day, we're just trying to focus on developing a relationship of trust uh, as a matter of course, because there's just too many Americans, 40 million uh, that live in this state that deserve us to get together and get along. And obviously uh, the coronavirus is taking a huge economic toll Worldwide, but certainly in California, already 1.6 million Californians have filed for unemployment in your state. That's, of course, your state is the world's fifth largest economy. What are you doing to try to take care of those who are without work, uh, might be struggling for basic necessities to to keep uh, 
food in the refrigerator to have a roof over their over their heads. That's the right question. And when I we think in terms of the federal stimulus, the two point two trillion dollars, we don't look at it through industry and buckets. We look at it through the lens of real people, real lives, trying to keep people in their homes and not get evicted, try to keep businesses uh, operational, uh, even at a time when they can't open the doors to make sure that they can meet payroll. And so we're doing everything in our power. Look, uh, we provide uh, unemployment checks as much as six or four hundred fifty dollars a week. We have the additional layer of now six hundred dollars a week. Uh, that will help over a thousand dollars a week in some circumstances. But as you say, uh, we're being overwhelmed. It takes about 21 days in the good times to get those unemployment checks out. We still want to maintain that status in these difficult times, but it's 109,000 uh, on a seven-day trailing average of unemployment insurance claims in the state. We average 2,500 before this crisis. Uh, so you're correct to identify this as an overwhelming challenge. And know this, we're doing two things at once, situationally trying to meet this crisis head on and sustainably thinking about when we turn the corner, when we turn uh, into a position, or rather we bend the curve where we can turn on our economic engine, how we can do it as quickly and efficiently as possible and getting small businesses up, businesses one two people, not just 200 or 300, and how we can get them online front and center. That's our top priority. Uh, and know we have economic teams working on that over time. And we're looking forward to getting to that point uh, where we're in a recovery mode, uh, not just in an emergency response mode. All right, California Governor Gavin Newsom, I have a lot of relatives, including my baby brother out there. Uh, keep up the good fight. Thank you so much for your time. Let us know if there's anything we can do to shine a light on any need you have that you're not getting. Wonderful of you. Thank you, Jake. Coming up next, I'm going to talk with a former top Trump advisor who dealt with many crises during his time at the White House. His grade on the president's handling of this pandemic. That's next. Stay with us. The vice president joining President Trump today and trying to rewrite history, falsely insisting that the president did not downplay the severity and significance of the coronavirus when, in fact, of course, he did repeatedly throughout January, February, and all the way through to mid-March. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, with the possibility of nearly a quarter million deaths in the United States, the president seems to have finally acknowledged the sobering reality of what's to come, though who knows how long that will last. As he warned of a challenging time ahead, President Trump came to grips with a reality he's denied for months. This is going to be a very painful very, very painful two weeks. The president somberly acknowledged the potential for a staggering death toll that his team of experts has warned about for weeks. He said if he took no action, a move no public health experts have suggested, millions would have died instead of the hundreds of thousands that could now. On CNN, the vice president followed Trump's lead and said he took it seriously all along. I don't believe the president has ever belittled the threat of the coronavirus. But in late February, the president said this about the coronavirus cases. When you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. In fact, the stark numbers calls the president to reverse many of his own arguments, including this one. The flu in our country kills from 25,000 people to 69,000 people a year. That was shocking to me. We lose thousands and thousands of people a year to the flu. We don't 
turn the country off, I mean, every year. Trump now concedes the coronavirus is not like the flu. But it's not the flu. It's vicious. Though last month the Surgeon General urged Americans to stop buying masks, most members of the president's task force now think the public should start wearing them. But there are concerns about a run on an already short national supply. If you're going to wear a face covering, uh, please save the N95 mask for healthcare workers who need them. Today, the vice president visited a Walmart distribution center in Virginia. It's one of several major retailers that the president invited on stage last month as he announced that the federal government would partner with private companies to set up drive-through testing sites. The goal is for individuals to be able to drive up and be swabbed without having to leave your car. That announcement hasn't come close to being fulfilled. The Department of Health and Human Services confirmed to CNN there are only currently five locations at these stores in the entire country offering drive-through testing, and none are available to the general public. Today, with this historic public-private partnership, we have laid the foundation to meet that need. Now, Jake, nearly all of those five locations are only offering testing to the first responders and healthcare workers. Most of those are only offering it to those people who fall into that category and are exhibiting coronavirus symptoms. Though we should note CVS, which only has one location, is now going to start testing senior citizens who have coronavirus symptoms. And right now, Jake, those companies did not disclose any plans, at least to us, to open up more locations for that drive-through testing that the president promised. All right. Caitlin Collins at the White House. Let's talk about the economic impact of this all. Uh, joining me now is Gary Cohn. He served as a top, top economic advisor to President uh, Trump. Um, Gary, thanks so much for joining us. You've known President Trump for years. You served in the White House during a number of other crises, though I don't think any as significant as this one. Have you spoken with the president since the pandemic began? Jake, thanks for having me. Yes, I have spoken to the president. And I've spoken to others in the White House. Like I'm trying to reach out and be as helpful as I can. And what have I know you don't want to disclose what they've said to you, but what, what have you been talking to them about? It's just the, how to save the economy, how to preserve jobs and, and well-being for Americans? Yeah, look, the, the most important thing here that the government can do, and, and they're doing a lot of it, they're not doing all of it, is that we need the income replacement that the CARES Act put into place last week. Companies have to be able to pay their employees and keep them on the books and records. It's important for their day-to-day well-being, but it's also important for the recovery when it comes, and we will have a recovery. You know, if we keep people on the books and records, they will know where they work. They will know where they're going back to work. And when it is time to start the recovery, you know, sort of inch by inch, we will know what people go back to work, where they where and where they go back to work. We won't have to start with a new hiring process and we will be able to stimulate economic growth faster by keeping people on the books and records. So Speaker Pelosi said that the two trillion dollar stimulus that you just referred to is just a down payment. Um, do you agree? And if so, how much more do you think Congress needs to inject into the economy? And should it be immediately or should it be spaced out? But Jake, this money hasn't even gotten out yet. Hopefully, some of it will start getting out this week. Secretary Mnuchin said that the small business money will get out this week. I know that the application went up on the Treasury website this morning. I've looked at it. Some of the small businesses I'm involved with, I've encouraged them to go fill it out and get the money as soon as possible. That money needs to get out very quickly. Once that money gets out and once we know how long 
we're going to be in social distancing, we're going to have the economy shut down, we'll be in a better position to decide what to do next. That said, it would be prudent for Congress and the administration to be thinking about what they can do next. We don't want to wait till we have to implement that to think about it. We should be thinking about what else we can be doing. It's April 1st. Rent is due. Mortgage payments are due for millions of Americans and obviously tens of millions of people uh, have been furloughed. So they don't have paychecks coming in or laid off entirely. Your former former firm, Goldman Sachs, predicts 15 percent unemployment to come. What could be done right now to keep people employed, to enable Americans to pay basic bills like for food and rent? Jake, it's, it's the plan that was laid out. It was the plan that was implemented. Now we've got to execute. Execution is the key here. As in, as in any crisis, you've got to go into execution mode and you've got to go into high speed execution mode. And by that, I mean, we've got to get the money out of the federal government and into the hands of citizens. Citizens need to see the money. They need to receive the paycheck they're used to receiving. That way, they will be able to pay their rent. They will be able to pay for their groceries. They'll be able to pay for the prescriptions that they need to buy and live off of every day. Right now, it's all about execution of what they have already passed. Uh, obviously, President Trump, uh, it took him a few weeks to acknowledge the severity of this crisis. Uh, Vice President Pence said today that, said that that was because the president's optimistic. Um, I know you like to stick with the ec- uh, economic matters and not the politics of it all. But let me ask you, would it have been less of a shock to the system if there had been more acknowledgement earlier about what was to come? Jake, like, I don't know. But what I do know, and this is important for people to understand, seven weeks ago, Seven weeks ago, we were at a record high in the Dow. We were record employment levels in the United States, meaning we had three and a half percent unemployment. We were at three percent wage growth. Our economy was doing exactly what everyone in this country had hoped it would be doing. In less than seven weeks, we have rightfully and justifiably asked American consumers to stop consuming. And remember, we're an 80 percent consumption economy. When you ask people to stop driving 80 percent of the economy, you're going to get an economic move like this. Now, what we need to do is exactly what the legislation that was passed last week is going to do. Put money back in people's pockets to pay for their basic needs and continue to move forward in as more as more more normalized fashion as we possibly can. Look, we still have some issues that we need to fix. The oil market is still broken. We've got to get the oil market fixed. Look, we worked for decades in the United States not to be dependent on foreign oil imports. And once again, we may go back to a point where we're dependent on foreign oil imports. This is not just about oil. It's about alternatives as well. We need to be self-sufficient on energy in this country. And I think the president needs to get involved in the price of oil right now. All right, Gary Cohn, thank you so much. Stay healthy. We appreciate your coming on. You too, Jake. Be well. Coming up, one country taking a very unusual step to stop the spread of the virus. It's forcing a split in every home. We'll explain next. Stay with us. In our world lead, France has turned two high-speed trains into hospitals to transport critical patients from Paris out to western France to try to relieve the overflow. And Panama is taking an interesting approach to manage the spread, telling men and women they cannot be in public at the same time. We have reporters 
around the world. And we're going to begin with CNN's Bianca Nobilo uh, in London. Bianca, the U.K. has had its deadliest day yet, 563 deaths due to coronavirus. What is the latest there? Mm -hmm. You're right, Jake. There have now been 2,352 deaths in the United Kingdom. And obviously, as journalists, we wish that we could tell a story about each and every one of them. But one of the victims that's been capturing the hearts of Brits today is the youngest victim of the coronavirus in the United Kingdom recorded so far. That's Ismail Mohammed Aldu Wahab. He died of the virus in a London hospital. And tragically, Jake, he died alone without his parents and without his siblings. The British Health Service then tried to clarify afterwards that children could have parents in the room with them, at least one. For fear of infection, obviously, there had been some wires crossed about who could be allowed in the room with patients who were dying. Now, there is an urgency in the United Kingdom. There has been a steep rise in deaths today, up from 381 yesterday, and the UK is now tracking Italy. In the earlier days of the outbreak, Italy was seeing a steeper rise in the cumulative deaths, but now the United Kingdom has had a rise, and it's now tracking Italy, almost the lines converging, if you like, Jake. Now, there is also confusion as to what the government's reassuring us about and the reality on the ground. I've been speaking to doctors, I've been speaking to nurses. They don't have the protective equipment that they need and they don't have the ventilators that they need, Jake. So there's a real disconnect between the reality and the government's reassurances and rhetoric. All right, Bianca Nobila, thank you so much. CNN's Patrick Ottman joins me now from Havana. And Patrick, can you explain these bizarre gender-based lockdown restrictions that Panama is now implementing? I will do my best, Jake. So this is how it works. Panama already has some of the toughest restrictions of any country in the region. Panama is on lockdown. There are no flights coming in. You cannot cross land borders. People already were not supposed to be leaving their homes unless it was an emergency or they were going out to buy food. What happened? Panamanian authorities said too many people were still out in the street. So they came up with a novel, pretty unorthodox way that a police officer could look around and see uh, who is not supposed to be out. And so they said that Women now can only go out Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Men have Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And they're taking this very seriously. If you were out on a day you're not supposed to be, you could be fined. Many people, hundreds of them, have been arrested. What happens on Sunday, that is the day that everyone is supposed to stay home. It is now the only place in Panama where both men and women can still be together at the same time. Jake? All right, Patrick Ottman, thank you so much. With international travel essentially shut down around the world, thousands of Americans have been left stranded abroad. The desperate rescue operations by the State Department and other good deed doers. That's next. Stay with us. It is the first of the month and millions of Americans would get paid today. But for so many of you out there impacted by furloughs and layoffs, Paychecks have stopped. Today is also the day many rent bills are due and, and other bills. CNN's Tom Foreman reports for us now that that has more Americans turning to the government for help simply putting food on the table. The rush is on. With the first of the month release of government food assistance funds, some grocery stores are expecting floods of low-income shoppers, desperate to stock up and rattled by reports of shelves emptied by more affluent folks. Antonio Pinchback says he's out of work, on aid, and he's seen it. When you go, all of the cheaper like options are gone. Like if it's like chicken or 
um, like even like ground beef, like all that's gone. It's so, all bought up. Yeah, the only thing you got left is like salami. You know, I can't afford to use salami every day. The store owner here says shortages have driven prices through the roof too. I never ever believed that one dozen egg for almost four dollars right now. Everything costs more. Much more, not a little bit more, much more higher. Prices, of course, vary from place to place, and federal officials believe those shortages are now largely under control. But they also expect pressure for food assistance to intensify. Millions of low-wage earners are losing their jobs, and private free food lines like this one in Pittsburgh can't handle it all. We really can tighten the controls and knowing exactly what it is that we have so that we have enough to go out for the need. In California alone, applications to CalFresh, which administers federal SNAP funds or food stamps, have reportedly jumped dramatically. So the USDA is loosening guidelines coast to coast, hoping to get more people signed up and fed faster, especially children. And that could help businesses, too, while everyone waits for slower-moving stimulus funds to make it into the marketplace and better times. And we're on two jobs right now. Do you have much hope that they will come through in these circumstances? Maybe. (laughs) I don't really know. Prior to the pandemic, the Trump administration was actually trying to push a lot of people off the food stamp rolls and just a couple of weeks ago pledged to continue that legal fight. That stands in stark stark contrast to advocates for low-income families who are actually asking many people in places to stay away from grocery stores for a couple of days so those folks have a better chance at shopping and feeding their families well. Jake. All right, Tom Foreman, thank you so much. Desperate rescue operations around the world have already brought more than 27,000 Americans previously stranded back to the United States. But there seem to be another 24,000 or so still not home, still abroad. CNN's Kylie Atwood is live for us at the State Department. And and Kylie, one longtime official says it's like nothing he has ever seen no, no challenge that the State Department has ever had to deal with before. Yeah, that's right. I spoke with Alex Delore. He is a 17-year State Department veteran. He is based in Ecuador, one of the officials, just one of the many officials working to get these Americans home. And he painted the picture for me, right? He said that essentially anyone who works at the embassy right now, no matter what they are assigned to officially be working on, they are working on repatriating Americans. They are spending time at the airports, helping these Americans get home, sometimes staying there until two or three in the morning. They are sacrificing time with their own families and putting their own health on the line as well. And I think, Jake, it's important to note that Alex told me that there are crisis responses that are developed by the State Department. Those are for things like volcanoes or earthquakes. He said he has never seen a crisis response developed for a situation based on a global pandemic. He said that's bewildering and said essentially it means that they have had to try to be creative here in setting up this operation. It hasn't been a well-oiled machine from day one, but it is a tremendous effort at this point on behalf of the State Department. As you said, 25,000 Americans have already received assistance from the State Department in getting home. And so there are Americans, however, in some of these places that have not gotten to these flights from the U.S., and that's because they are being prevented from getting to those flights. One of those Americans is named Alex. He is in Peru. And let's listen to what he said. Jake, in two or two or three weeks when this quarantine ends, hopefully when I'm when every all the Americans here, which there's six or seven Americans here now, I just want insurance that 
they'll still come get the last 0.01% of the American stock in Peru. And our thanks to Kylie Atwood for that report. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.